Let's pray. Father, help us to lay down whatever is in our way right now from what your spirit wants to do in our heart because of your word, because of Jesus and what he wants to do in our hearts, say to us, help us be ready to respond the way you want us to. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this time. And we pray that whatever I say would be what you want said, that you would, your words would speak to our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, I was on the attack, making move after move to strategically place myself, taking piece after piece, and moving into this great position, or at least I thought, and my opponent wasn't defending himself. I, th- I thought that I was making progress, and then the counterattack came out of nowhere, and I was forced to lay down my king. My son Jack learned how to play chess at a very young age, five or six years old, and I knew that if I, was going to have, if I was going to be able to keep up and give him a, any bit of a challenge, I would have to be playing a whole lot more. So I downloaded an app on my phone and I started playing a couple games a week for probably a year and a half or more. And I made progress, but Jack made way better progress. A few years ago, I think I could beat him two out of five games, maybe. Uh, then over the pandemic, He played a lot more online. I didn't play much at all. I got older. He got a little bit older. And uh, now I'm barely a challenge to him at all. So if anybody plays chess and wants a really good opponent, Jack's one of the ones to play. But uh, I'm not sure when that game happened that I referred to a minute ago, but it's when I learned about something called the Danish Gambit, which he obviously knew a lot about. He sacrificed two or three pawns in a row, made me feel like I was making really good progress, and then he just turned the tables. He he was very strategic in how he drew me in, made me feel good about the progress I felt like I was making when he was really setting me up the whole time. See, he had the big goal in mind. He had my king in mind, and... In, in, in chess, it's easy to get distracted. You're trying to distract the other person so that you can come in for, for a sneak attack. And so I felt like I was doing really well when really it was he who was willing to make whatever sacrifice necessary in order to stay true to the goal. In our passage this morning, Jesus is uh, challenging us to keep our eyes on the goal and be willing to sacrifice whatever we have to to stay true to what's truly important. So we're going to read Mark 9, 42 to 50, but before I do, I do have to address a distraction that's in the text that you might get distracted by, and I don't want you to get distracted by it, so I want to address it right away and just say, uh, you'll see this, and here's why. You will see that there's two verses, verse 44 and 46, that the, in some of your translations, that the verse, that the, the The number is there, but the words aren't. So you'll see verse 44 and then nothing, and then verse 46 and nothing, and you probably have a footnote at the bottom that says some manuscripts include the words from verse 48. So here's what happened. The Bible, and in our case, the Gospel of Mark, was written uh, as a complete unit, 
It was written in a scroll, and it didn't have chapters and verses. That's not how they wrote it. They wrote it as a complete unit. And then later, chapters and verses were added in order to be able to reference back and understand where people are talking about within the text. Well, as time went on, copies were made, and copies of the copies were made in, in order to preserve the, the, the scripture. And uh, sometimes scribes would, would inadvertently or deliberately add something to try to make it make sense or to help clarify. And so in our passage, the words from verse 48 were added to where 44 would be and where 46 would be. Some of your translations might even have those words in there. And then uh, later, the, some earlier manuscripts were found that did not have the words in 44 and 46. And so instead of rearranging in the whole numbering system, they just put the number and then a footnote that explains some manuscripts include this. Now, I want you to know, know that the, the message has been preserved, the, the, the point has been preserved, is there's no worry about that. The message is the same, those words are included, they're just included in verse 48, and in some translations, they've been included in verse 40, where 44 and 46 would be as well. Does that make sense? Hope that makes sense, okay. so. I tell all this to you so you don't get distracted when you see 44 and 46 and wonder, where are the words? Some manuscripts have it included, uh, what, what is said at verse 44 in those places as well because there's some repetition within the text and those would be good places for that to appear. So in this passage, Jesus challenges us to keep our eyes on the real goal and to be willing to sacrifice anything that gets in the way of what truly is important. So let's read Mark 9, 42 through 50. It says, If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. Now I wanna be right up front here and uh, right off the bat um, admit that this passage talks about something that we don't like to talk about in our North American culture. It talks about hell. And so there's a lot of questions that come up in our minds about this. Is hell real? Who's gonna go there? What's it like? And lots more questions. Now this isn't the only passage in the Bible that addresses hell. There's a lot more passages, and in order to do that topic justice, we would have to do a whole sermon series on hell to answer those questions. So we won't be answering all those questions today. But I want to be right up front and say Jesus clearly and unapologetically speaks here about hell as a place that is real and a place that you want to avoid at all costs. 
But hell is not the force of this passage. The force of this passage is concluding the teaching that he began a couple weeks ago when he started teaching the disciples about what it means to be great in the kingdom of God. So in verse 36, he took a child, and in that culture, a child represented the lowest of the low in the hierarchical standing of things. And so he took a child which represented the lowest of the low, and he used the child as an object lesson to explain that when you welcome one of these, a child, the lowest of the low, people that other people would not even look at, when you welcome one of them, you're welcoming me, he says. You're welcoming Jesus and you're welcoming God the Father. The disciples, they'd been arguing on the road as Jesus was explaining to them that I'm going to serve. I'm going to be killed. And they're arguing about who is the greatest. And so Jesus explains that in the kingdom of heaven, it's actually upside down. What you think about status and privilege, that's actually the lowest in the kingdom. Those who are trying to get all that, they're the lowest in the kingdom of heaven. The ones that are the greatest are the ones who serve who humbly serve and welcome those that, that in our world, in our kingdom, are people are, that are ignored or looked over. And he's teaching about, as he's teaching about this with the, with the child in front of him and as a living object lesson, John asserts himself, teacher, we, we heard somebody trying to cast out demons in your name, so we told him to stop. It seems like he was trying to get an attaboy from Jesus, you know, a pat on his back, and, and he was just trying to show that, yeah, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I, I'm getting this. When actually it's just revealing that he, he wasn't getting it at all. And so Pastor Chris explained last week that Jesus, uh, if rather than uh, um, accusing Jesus or ridiculing Jesus, he was patient and he was kind and he used this as an opportunity to teach further. He explained that it's not just, the kingdom of heaven is not just about a privileged few of people with status or this group of 12, it's about those who serve in the name of Jesus, those who follow Jesus and serve in his name. And whoever serves in the name of Jesus will not lose their reward. Kingdom of heaven is not exclusive to privilege or status but to following, trusting Jesus and serving him by serving the lowest of the low. And when you serve those who people, other people would look over, you're welcoming him and the Father. So Jesus, he's flipped the idea of greatness on its head from what we normally think about privilege and status and, and who's seen. Uh, it's those who are humble that are truly great. And then he continues to flip their understanding of privilege and status and says it's, it's bigger than this. It's bigger than what you see. It's not just about this inner 12. And then we get to our passage this morning where he's, holding this, he's still holding this child in his arms. And the living object lesson, again, represents the, uh, the lowest of the low. And he's holding this child and he says that these people, children, the lowest of the low, are so important. If they choose to believe in me, and then someone comes along and causes them to stumble, it would be better if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. The idea here is the importance of people who believe in Jesus no matter their status. Jesus loves people. 
and he wants them to come to him. He's, he so wants a relationship with them that he's willing to, to humiliate himself. He's willing to suffer and go to the cross and be separated from God the Father for the first and only time ever because our sin, our guilt, our shame, the shame and guilt of all humanity is placed upon him and he's separated from God the Father in that moment. He's humiliated and he's willing to do all that to take what we deserve in our place because he loves us so much. And if someone comes along and then causes one of the lowest to stumble, it's a big deal. A millstone was this big, huge thing that that, uh, they used for milling grain and and a donkey had to turn it because it was so big. So it's like Jesus is uh, using hyperbole here, but he's like, it would be worse for you then to cause one of these persons to stumble than for you to be thrown into the sea with that tied around your neck. And the word stumble here is a little different than what we tend to think of. I tend to think when when a stumble, when I think of stumbling, of what happened to me earlier this week and it has happened many times when I'm walking up the stairs climbing up the stairs from my basement to the main main floor and I I missed the top of the stair and hit my foot on the edge. Anybody else ever done that? And it hurts and you stumble and you gotta correct yourself before you fall. That's what I think of stumble, but in the Greek, this word, it has a, a lot more force than just a tripping hazard. It, 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 in this passage, it has the force of taking offense at Jesus, of lo- losing our faith in him, of turning away completely from him. So when Jesus says it would be better for a huge millstone to be hung around someone's neck than for them to cause someone to stumble, he's he's talking about causing someone to turn away from Jesus, the source of life, of love, of everything good. Jesus is reinforcing the goal that we are to love and welcome and humbly serve people. That's what the kingdom of God looks like, the kingdom that invites people in not looking out for number one and trying to be great and telling people to stop doing things in his name because they don't look like us or don't maybe do things the way we do. Commentator David E. Garland, he he said it this way. He said, one can infer that God shows more concern for the little one's fragile faith than for the great one's fragile egos which caused them to lord it over or ignore others. Let me read that again because it's so good. One can infer that God shows more concern for the little one's fragile faith than for the great one's fragile egos, which caused them to lord it over or ignore others. Whatever we have to give up to help someone grow in their faith is worth it because the consequences are eternal. And Jesus goes on with the theme of stumbling because the consequences of turning away from him are eternal. Separation from God forever, hell. Where the description, verse 48, is is symbolic of destruction and punishment. It says the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. And since the consequences are so extreme, Jesus basically says do whatever you can to avoid that kind of death. If your hand causes you to turn away, cut it off. If your feet causes you to fall away, cut it off. If your eye causes you to lose your faith, pluck it out. 
Now, there have been people who have taken Jesus literally here and have cut off body parts to avoid sin. Problem is, I can cut off my hand and still go and, and, and sin or still have that sin in my life. So I don't think Jesus is saying, I want to have a bunch of followers following me without body parts. I think he's speaking metaphorically about what we choose to see with our eyes, what we do with our hands, where we go with our feet. Jesus is saying that if there, there are things that we look at that turn us away from Jesus, do whatever it takes to get rid of that. If there are things that we do with our hands that turn us away or, or places that we go with our feet that turn us away from Jesus, then get rid of it. Do whatever it takes to get rid of that stuff because to turn away from Jesus is to turn away from hope, is to turn away from life, it's to turn away from love, from joy, from peace, from anything and everything that is good because he is the source of everything good. Without him, there is no hope. There is no love, there is no joy, there's nothing good. We end up in hell. Does this mean that we can lose our salvation? I've really struggled with this question. I've struggled with it all through my Christian walk. Can we lose our salvation? What I do know is that if we choose to put our complete faith and hope in Jesus, he's got us. We're secure, totally secure, because we're trusting in the source, which means that our salvation is not based on a little prayer, a little formula that we may have done at some point just to say, oh, I'm in. It's based on how we respond to Jesus. It's based on what we do with Jesus. This is one of the wonderful things about Jesus. He gives us the choice. He offers himself to us completely. And when we respond to the spirits working in our hearts, when we put our complete faith and hope in him, we're his. He's got us. However, if we reject him, if we don't accept him completely, then I think these verses are very relevant. This is the fragile faith that Jesus is talking about. He's warning about and telling us that um, those of us who are trusting Jesus, if we do anything to cut off this, any, any, if we do anything that hinders the fragile faith of someone who's, who's on the edge of putting their faith in Jesus, that's what he's talking about. And then in and then verse 49 sounds a little strange to us. It says, everyone will be salted with fire. But it's a reference to Leviticus 2.13. And this talks about grain offerings that the Israelites would bring uh, to God at the temple. Before Jesus came, people would offer sacrifices in the temple. And the, the kind of offering that Leviticus 2.13 is talking about is a grain offering. And it says, Season all of your grain offerings with salt. Do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offerings. Add salt to all your offerings. See, when Jesus died on the cross, he became the sacrifice that ended all sacrifices and the need for the sacrificial system in the temple. He was the infinite uh, sacrifice that paid the debt of all our sin and all our guilt and all our shame. So we don't need to bring sacrifices to, to cover our guilt and our sin and our shame. We don't have to earn our forgiveness or our salvation in any way. However, several weeks ago, we looked at Jesus' teaching in, in the last part of chapter eight where he said that anybody who follows him must be willing to lose their life, 
deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. And so Jesus, he's earned our salvation from our guilt, guilt and our sin and our shame, but to follow him means that we need to turn away, or maybe it's better that we say, allow him to turn us away from our old way of life, where we look out for number one, where we try to be great, where we try to make sure everybody's like us, and instead let him lead. Trust him to guide us instead of trusting ourselves. Kind of like what Kathy just talked about a little bit ago. Romans 12.1 fleshes this out when it says, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters as in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I think what Jesus is getting at in verse 49 is that following Jesus is about offering ourselves to him completely as a living sacrifice. When we commit to following Jesus, we have to be ready to submit everything to him, to offer our lives to him, and that's our living sacrifice. He becomes our leader in every way. We're no longer trying to lead ourselves. We're we're sacrificing that leadership to him. And then verse 50 expands on what it means to be a living sacrifice. It says salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you be made salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. See, salt is a seasoning and a preservative in, that, in, the, in the time when Jesus lived. As living sacrifices, we have been salted and offered to Jesus. And so we live as salt in the world, seasoning and preserving the world around us with our love and passion for Jesus that's full of joy and love and peace and hope by living at peace with each other because God is our leader and we submit to him and to each other by serving each other. We don't fight about who's the greatest or who's the best, or who's right and wrong. We submit to God. We seek him together. We pursue him together and we encourage each other to live and follow him by serving and caring for each other. And this is a tall task. And I've said it before, this is impossible. It's impossible for us. We can't do it. However, we have an invitation from Jesus to come to him who has done it. And he does it in us when we give our lives to him. When we come to him, when we ask him to forgive us, when we put our faith and our hope and our trust in him and give ownership of our lives to him, he puts his spirit in us and he empowers us to be able to live more and more this way. It takes a long time. I thought I'd be way further than I am in that road by the time I am I'm as old as I am in the long time I've walked with Jesus, but he's still working. And he's giving me more power to do it and he's giving us more power to do it as we turn to him and follow him. And so he empowers us to be the seasoning salt in the world. And we're with peace with each other and far from causing others to stumble, We welcome and invite people of every level of hierarchy. 
whether they think like us or not, whether they act like us or not, whether they look like us or not, because when we welcome and love other people, we're welcoming and loving Jesus. So I began by saying that in this passage, Jesus challenges us to keep our eyes on the real goal and be willing to sacrifice anything that gets in the way of what's truly important. What truly is important is following Jesus, putting our faith and our hope in him alone and inviting and welcoming others, serving others so that they come to Jesus. That's our goal. We need to be willing to give up anything and everything else that gets in the way of belonging to Jesus for ourselves or for others. Because what we do with Jesus determines our eternal destiny that affects now as well. So the invitation for some of you today is to turn to Jesus. It's always to turn to Jesus. It's probably the invitation for all of us. We need to continually turn to Jesus, but maybe you have to do it for the first time. Ask him to forgive you. Give your life to him completely and receive his life, his Holy Spirit, his joy, his peace, the security of knowing that he has us. For those of you, of you who do know Jesus, those of you who have committed to following him and, com- and commit to following him, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? The goal is to be willing to sacrifice anything to stay true to the goal. Is there something that maybe you need to sacrifice that you're holding on to? Are you holding on to something that might be hindering someone else's fragile faith? Are you ready to welcome someone who's different with, and, and withhold judgment? Are you willing to love and accept the person in front of you, even if you don't agree with them? Jesus loved and loves us at our worst. And in his strength, we can love the people around us, no matter what they look like, no matter whether we agree with them or not, because Jesus loves them. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for Jesus. God, um, we can't get sick of talking about Jesus because he's infinite and wonderful, and what he did for us is so far beyond what, even if we think we get it, we don't really get it, because there's so much more to understand and learn and and delight in. Help us delight in Jesus. Help us to love what you love and hate what you hate. And Lord, you love people. You love the person that we struggle with. You love the people that we avoid. You love the people we love as well. So Lord, help us to have love and acceptance of the person in front of us, no matter what they're like, and invite them to you. God, you'll do the work that's needed in their heart. We don't have to judge. We don't have to think we have to make them into something different. We bring them to you. You do the work. Continue to do the work in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.